two sentences about something significant that happened to you yesterday. Okay? That's free of charge. <clears throat> Good morning. Uh, today I want us to review a little bit and think about the Lord's Supper. It's something that uh, we do regularly. Most churches do it once a month. Uh, that's just habit. It's not written in the Scripture. It's not required. It's not a, a biblical, uh, any kind of admonition for us. But we do it by habit. And many churches do it on the same week each you know, each month, if it doesn't happen on the first uh, Sunday or the second Sunday each month, people begin to get nervous and begin to start panicking. Um, some people are very picky about where you do it. But the question that I want us to look at and to consider a little bit about is interpretation of words and how we use them. I have a good friend of mine that I supervised for a number of years, and he is about at the best, if I'm giving it a good day, he is five foot six. Yeah, maybe. Generously speaking. But I remember I was talking to him one day and he was telling me that he wanted me to go to a particular city in China and to do what we often do. And that is you go into a place, you get off the, air, the uh, airplane and you walk down and catch an escalator going down and you look around at a crowd and you're supposed to, having never met these people, Look out there, and someone's going to look at you, catch your eyes, you're going to shake your head like that, and then you're going to walk off with them and get in a car and drive away to go do training somewhere. Um, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's funny. In this case, it was more of the funny part, because he was describing this guy. He said, okay, if you're going to do the training this time, he said, you need to go, and there's this guy that's uh, real, real tall. He said, oh, he's so tall, you'll find him. No problem. Okay, that was all I got for a description. Okay. So when I arrived there, I was looking for this very, very tall guy. Well, in reality, the guy, the guy was about six foot tall. He was thin, so I guess to my friend, he really looked tall. But it's actually the same height I am, except that I'm obviously a lot wider. than that. We won't go there. But the point is, Different people interpret things differently. The same situation, different interpretation. The same word, different interpretation. Um, <clears throat> you know, in the Scripture, there's a Scripture that says, Believe in the name of Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But there's another Scripture in a different part of the Bible that says uh, that even the demons believe, or they believed, and they knew, and they feared, because they didn't want to follow. They just believed. They knew who Jesus was. You know, knowing who He is and doing what He says are two different things. One has to do with believe, and one has to believe and trust. And we as Christians, the Christians in this room, our goal is to do more than just know about Jesus. It's to know Jesus. And so we use vocabulary a lot. We do, we're great at memory work. But I do want us to think about some of that. Now these two people have just written some great things on this paper, I'm sure, <clears throat> about what they did. Have you finished? 
Okay, not bad. And sooner or later, she will have hers done too. So I will put that at a later point in what we're talking about this morning. But as we talk about interpretation, um, I want us to think through the importance of uh, how we sometimes find ourselves over-interpreting. Now, what do I mean by over-interpreting? It's in a hunger to define truth in our life. It's in a hunger to understand the Scripture. But if we're not careful, we can get a word and make it into a sermon. And I'm sorry, I've heard preachers who have done that many a time, that their sermon consisted of one verse. And they could tear apart every word in this thing. Oh, it sounded so deep and so impressive. And yet there's something we need to consider, and that is the, the environment in which the Scripture was written. In most cases, the Scripture was written in a way it was designed to tell a story, to explain a reality, to give depth to something. And it says, that even from the very beginning of most of the Scripture, this is a letter to someone. <laughs> if you reflect on any letter you have ever sent, uh, I don't know how you would feel about it, but I'll give you a story about my situation. Um, there's a lady in this room whom I happen to be married to, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, she uh, and I were in two different countries. Our dating experience was very strange back in the old days. I was living in Hong Kong. She was living in Taiwan. We had met in Taiwan, but... Um, we, I had to go back to Hong Kong to live and do some further work, and we began to send letters. And she sent uh, many, many letters, and I sent many letters. Now, again, trying to interpret for the younger group, a letter is a piece of paper you write on, and you send it off to, in the mail. And the mail is something that was pre-emailed. Okay. And so, uh, we were, and oh, even worse, we used these blue things called aerograms. Very lightweight paper. That was also valuable in the old days. Um, now it's probably an antique and you can make a lot of money out of it. Who knows? But the, the point is, we sent this mail back and forth, back and forth. And I will promise you that I spent some, too much time, some of the time, looking at individual words. Now sometimes it was because I had to look, at, look up the character to find out exactly what the meaning was. But some of the time it was because I was just excited to read what she said. And some of the time I was nervous about what I was reading, too. But we, you spend a lot of time poring over these. But if I'm not careful, as I was then, if I was not careful, sometimes I would read more into the letter than was really intended. You know, that's not a good thing when we're looking at the Word of God. Our goal with, goal with the Scripture is to find God's truth for our lives without writing in our own ideas. Writing in our own ideas is not a healthy thing. Uh, recently, I was with a, a particular individual, and we were uh, talking about some things, and my, my friend grabbed a book and was looking through one of my books. And then he put the book down. And when he put the book down, he said, I can't read this. Now, the book that he was looking at, uh, Week One would understand this because he's read this for sure. I think it was either Radical or the other book was uh, called The Barbarian Way. But it's, it's, it's a challenge to say our Christian walk is not a game. 
It never has been. The Christian walk is demanding. It, it demands change in our lives. It demands a change in values. And so my friend was looking at the book and said, I can't read this. And I thought, you know, why? I was very surprised. He said, I cannot do that. I cannot live up to those standards. You know, that is part of our challenge as Christians, is to recognize that sometimes, even though the road is hard, if we're going to be serious Christians, if we want to see VCBC blessed, if we want to see VCBC be a blessing to Vancouver and to your school and to your friends and your workplace, we have to be completely sold out. That means we have to allow the Scripture to teach us and to change us because it's asking us to do more than just know the truth, but to implement the truth. We must be willing to live out what we know. Now, I don't know about you, but I think many of us can probably pull a spiritual mirror up and look at ourselves and admit there are areas of my life I am unwilling to sacrifice. I'm unwilling to change. There are areas of my life as I look at that spiritual mirror that I simply say, no, uh, I can compromise with God. You can do this to me on Sunday, but Monday to Saturday I've still got too many other things going on I have to continue with. One of my favorite scriptures is in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, where it says clearly, Fear God, obey His commands. In Cantonese, we would say, Hai Gam Sing. That's it. You know, I like that scripture because it says this is the duty of man. The scripture says it very clearly. You don't have to guess what the will of God is. The will of God is there. problem is, do I will to do what God wills for me to do? Do I will to do what God wills for me to do? Not knowledge, action. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 to 26, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that in rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And then in verse 29 it says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Where did we ever get the idea that following Christ was easy? 
Where do we get the idea that following Christ meant we should be seeking safety and comfort? Is that a biblical idea? I think not. Do we not all fight to remain alive when in fact we say that we believe that in the death from this world would bring reward? What we say we believe and how we functionally live are in conflict. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And yet everyone in this room pretty much would do anything possible to remain alive in this world. There is a bit of a conundrum going on there. There's a little bit of a frustration and confusion there. There's something going on that we have to struggle with. I'm going to go back, and I have not looked at. This is a very dangerous thing I'm doing here. But I want to look at a couple of things that were said on this paper. You may be blessed. Well, yeah, there we go. If you dare to give it to me. Um, it says, Yesterday I spent my breakfast with my brother and dad, chatting about our week and learning about the Chinese culture. Okay, if I want to look at this in a different way, I come up with the conclusion, yesterday I did something very unusual and I dared to eat breakfast with my brother and my dad. I had no choice, but I actually had to listen to more of this stuff about Chinese culture. (laughs) Number two, my family had hot pot together for dinner. My family had hot pot together for dinner. And I hated it. It burned my mouth out. And I don't want to ever eat with them again. (laughs) Spent quality time with my mom and learned how to make dessert. Spent quality time with my mom and learned that I was a pretty bad cook, but she was worse. Read a book that required me to look up definitions. Read a book that was so difficult I couldn't understand a clue. I didn't have no clue what was in it. You know, the thing is, we can misuse and abuse our definitions. We can misuse and not interpret words correctly. And that's what I want to say today that we need to consider, is how we interpret words. And part of why I say this is because when we have the Lord's Supper, there is a need for us to understand what we're doing. We do the Lord's Supper on a monthly basis. We do it quick. We do it fast. We know how to, how to handle it in a few minutes. We will do very well in here probably in having the Lord's Supper, but it needs to be a time of worship and we need to know what we're doing. In my case, I just wanted to remind us of a few of these. Um, in, in my situation, I grew up... Um, with a father who was a little unique in background. Now, the reason I say he was unique in background was because without him in my life, I would have never even known what the word Catholic meant. My father was a Catholic. My father studied to become a priest. He left the priesthood, thank goodness. Not If not, I wouldn't be here. But um, one thing I did learn from it all, though, was that I am a Catholic. 
I just don't happen to be a Catholic with the big C. See, there's a Catholic that means universal church. That's part of me. I'm part of that. But I'm not a Catholic with a big C, which is also their denominational identity. So in that sense, we're all Catholics if we're Christians because we're part of the universal church, which includes people from various other denominations with the Lutherans and some Presbyterians and some Methodists. and those. That's part of the universal body of Christ. We alone in this room are not the only Christians out there. Now, on the other hand, we're not the big, big C Catholic because that's not our, our identity because they have some theology and some understanding of things that are quite different. My father grew up in New York City, uh, was an altar boy at St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is a very significant church uh, within the Catholic circle. But he had a problem within the Catholic church, and that was that they had a different understanding of Scripture than he did. His problem was he felt like Scripture was more important than, than just church history or what church thought, said about things. And that conflict continued to come up. He told me one day, he said, when I left the Catholic Church, I didn't leave anything of value behind. So when I was growing up, I never thought about the Catholic Church at all. It was not in my thinking. All I knew was it was a bad place my dad had gone to. Now, my father died when I was 11. So I didn't have a whole lot of that upbringing. But when I was 14... I had a friend that uh, took me to Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve. Well, our church had been having these nice little uh, services on, on Christmas Eve for several years, and I had been to a couple of those. I had become a Christian a couple of years earlier, so I, I knew Christ. But when I went to that Catholic service, and I was in that huge auditorium, and the, the worship music was so fabulous, it was a real time of evaluation and reflection for me on my relationship with Christ. And that was one of the two times of significance, being Easter and Christmas, when I should have been reflecting. I should have been looking deeply who I am. And I had a wonderful experience. And beginning that year when I was 14, when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, many, many years after that, every year, Midnight Mass, Christmas Eve, 12 o'clock, crazy time to have it, by the way, but I understood. I was always in a Catholic church because it was an opportunity for me personally to worship. But there was a problem that eventually came along. And I'll tell you that the problem for me did not really reflect itself in a big way until I was in seminary. I went to seminary. And uh, while in school, I took a course on Roman Catholic theology. That course began to teach me about something uh, called transubstantiation. One of those nice big words that nobody ever uses. But transubstantiation is basically a concept that says when you eat and you drink of the Lord's Supper, it literally becomes the body and the blood of Christ. It's a miracle. Because in the Scripture, as we have already, we even read Scripture this morning that referred to eating the blood, or drinking the blood. Right? They, they have defined it as a miracle that when you eat 
And when you drink, it actually turns into that. And there's a lot more detail that goes with it, but I began to really struggle with what I had heard because that didn't seem to come together for me very well. In Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, Take, take all of it, this is my blood of the New Testament. You know, taking things literally sometimes is not always the best way to go. I had a cousin at age 16 became pregnant. She lived a lifestyle very different from mine. Uh, but I can still remember when she, she grew up going to a church, a Protestant church. But at age 15... She had heard, you know, heard, you know, this is again one of those things of where do we get our information? Information is important in life. Where do we get our teaching? Where do we get our knowledge? Where do we get our support? In her case, she, like most people, got most of her best information from a friend, a classmate, whom has no, you know, they had no clue what they were talking about, but it was a good buddy. I would encourage you, if you're looking for deep knowledge about important things, find a good mentor. Find someone who has had experience in life if you're going to talk about really important subjects. In her case, at age 15, she determined if she became a Catholic, life would be good because she could live any way she wanted to, Monday to Saturday, go to the priest on Sunday, be forgiven of all of her sins. She would go in, she would say, hey, pray for me. Sit, go and sit in the little booth, have the, the prayer, and everything was wiped away clean. She started over with a clean slate. The problem was, at 16, her clean slate didn't work because something was following her around, and that was the new lifestyle she had, and that was when she found out she was pregnant. So how we understand things is very, very important how we understand what's going on around us. Her understanding was by interpreting and, and grabbing this new thing called Catholicism, life was going to give her freedom beyond belief. But transubstantiation is the teaching that says when we take the Lord's Supper, it will turn miraculously in a miracle way into something different. Now there's something that the Lutherans follow and some others that are called consubstantiation, which is very similar what transubstantiation is. And consubstantiation says with the elements, the Holy Spirit is present. God is pre So it's not a miracle occurring in quite the same way, but it's quite similar. And again, we can remember the Scripture. As Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, He no more meant it to actually be saying that than He did when He said, I am the door in John 10.9. It was a symbol. It was a communication tool. When we do the Lord's Supper, it is a communication tool. It is a symbol. When we have baptism, it is a communication tool. When does a person become Christian? The, the moment they go under the water or the moment they come out of the water? Or could it possibly be the moment that they accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord? 
Could it be that the baptism is a picture of what has already happened internally? You know, there's something in there that's very fascinating how if we're not real careful with our definitions, if we're not careful with what we understand, we will get wrong theology. And I've known many people that I would shake their hand and say, when did you become a Christian? And they would say, May the 14th in whatever year. And then if you talk to them about it, that was the day they were baptized. Now, is that, accurate? is that accurate that that was the day they became a Christian? Or were they already a Christian? And because they were a Christian, they were allowed to be baptized and they were then welcomed into the family. You know, we, we, we really have to think a little bit about some of these things. But today we're talking specifically about the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, you'll notice that I keep using that term and I don't talk about the sacraments. And that's because in Baptist life we don't have sacraments. We have ordinances. Now, there's a difference. Why does it matter? I'll tell you. One is sacrament basically is something that it is a holy experience and a part of salvation. Part of the salvation experience is, is that is how they would define these things. In Baptist life, basically we have two ordinances. One is baptism and one is the Lord's Supper. And we see the ordinances as an act of obedience not a requirement for salvation. So it's important to us, very important. But it's not what makes you a believer in Christ. It's not what gives you salvation. It's it's not what provides your life's purpose and meaning. Recently, I had a minister ask me a question about churches and when or who should be allowed to lead the Lord's Supper. And uh, we talked about some of the traditions of churches. Well, Chinese churches, we're pretty conservative in general. Now, this church, my goodness, we're very much, uh, we're called Vancouver Chinese Baptist Church, but the English congregation, welcome, welcome, wherever you're from. But the Cantonese congregation, also they would say welcome, welcome, but also you have to be welcomed in and also be able to understand Cantonese. And um, the reality in most Cantonese churches, especially in Hong Kong, very, very clear. You have to go through their sequence of tradition to get to experiences. And to do the Lord's Supper, pretty much you have to be an ordained minister or deacon. That's their tradition. But you know, it was really fun to talk with my friend because I was able to explain to him, I believe in many churches today there is a change occurring. I know it applies within our church here. You know, if we have chosen someone and we believe God has His hand on, his, on that person's life to function as a deacon or to function as a minister in our church, the fact that the church has blessed them and selected them to lead us and direct us and to represent the church in these kind of experiences gives him the authority to go ahead and lead us in doing the Lord's Supper. I think that's wonderful. And I'll tell you why. I'll give you an example. We've done Lord's Supper in all kinds of places over the years. Sometimes we had ordained people there, sometimes we didn't. But as long as a church has said, we believe that in that environment, in that case, it will be valuable to both you and your relationship with God 
to hold the Lord's Supper in praise and in remembrance. Now, the word remembrance, another vocabulary word, very important to us. Because our Lord's Supper is to remind us of our relationship with God. So we don't do the Lord's Supper for salvation purposes. We do it out of praise and thanksgiving and remembering what Jesus did by sacrificing himself on a cross for our benefit. I told my friend as we talked, I said, who can do the Lord's Supper? I said, anyone that has been blessed and selected by the church. When and where and how? I said, those again are things that the church can work with you on. But I do remember a very interesting situation I had a number of years ago where we had a Lord's Supper served at a retreat site, probably a little bit like Cedar Springs. That kind of an environment Uh, And we had people coming from 11 different states who came to this location in central part of America. And we had uh, a baptismal service. And after you have baptismal services, very often you have a Lord's Supper service. And we had this big service that was occurring. And and we had uh, 400 and something people that came from all these different universities. It was really exciting. The students had a great time. We had, just everybody was having a great time. Finished it up, wrapped it up. Packed on them, everybody went back to their home locations. At that time, I was living in Kansas City. I got back home, was talking with a minister there, and I told him, I said, oh, yeah, he, he asked me how the services had gone and how the, the meeting had went. I said, we had all kinds of different conferences that we talked about different subjects, and we had 11 people baptized. And his response at that point was, ooh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I can remember, I kind of didn't know exactly where that was going, but I was afraid I had a pretty good idea. And so I said, uh, help me a little bit. Why would you be disappointed 11 people were baptized? He said, well, what were they baptized into? Well, sometimes, and you will learn this about me, sometimes I have these little horns that begin to grow. And I tried to push him back down, but the evil opportunity was just there and I couldn't control myself. And um, I said, uh, well, let's see, they were baptized into the family of God? Of course, that didn't get the right response. No, no, no. Uh, Into a body of believers? Uh, No, no, that's not what I'm going into. I thought, yeah, I know what you're doing, but I don't agree with you. And he began to share with me He said, you know, the thing is, though, what was the local church that they joined by doing that? And I didn't say to him the next sentence, which is, nowhere in Scripture does it teach that by being baptized you immediately become a member of a local church. That is a custom. It's something we do. Nothing wrong with it. But that was kind of where he was going. I said, well, that's true. They weren't baptized into a local church. But the groups that they were with, all were receptive that when they went back home, they would be members of those churches. So that baptism in that lake meant more to them. We had people who literally had waited a year to be able to be baptized there because it was there the year before they had made a decision for Christ. And so it was very emotionally meaningful to them. We had people that were baptized there that were just crying over the experience of being able to be with those brothers and sisters in that environment. 
for that, that baptismal service. Then we had the Lord's Supper afterwards, and it was a very meaningful time. But it was, it's interesting how, if we're not careful, we allow our customs and our traditions to absolutely control all we are. Today, as we've said, we've got transubstantiation which says that a miracle happens. That's not what we teach. We would have consubstantiation which says the Holy Spirit also does a kind of a miracle here, but it doesn't turn literally into blood and body, but we know that once it enters your body, there's still something special that occurs. And then we have the third one, which is what we normally would teach, and that is that we believe the Lord's Supper is a time of remembrance. It's a time for us to reflect spiritually, looking at ourselves and communicating with God and asking Him to one more time cleanse us, receive us, and for us to have fellowship with Him. Christ models the Lord's Supper for us. And so this morning we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And it's for believers that would come together and want to have fellowship. And that is a time that, that we see as valuable at this moment. Okay, could we ask our servers?